Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Remember to check them out at BlueWaterClimateControl.com. If you're in need of some kind of repair with your HVAC unit, Blue Water Climate Control is going to take care of you. They're going to do the right fix the right way the first time with trained professionals who know what they're doing. If you need a new system, they can do a complete system, a tune-up, whatever you need for your air conditioner, particularly as it turns into 90 degrees next week, hallelujah. Uh, you can check them out at Blue Water Climate Control. They'll take care of you there. Give them a buzz at 865-299-2290. I'm Brent Hubbs, joined by Austin Price. Rob Lewis, again, is uh, away, and so we're happy to welcome into uh, the podcast Eric Kane, who also delivers in his own podcast, right? Eric Kane, you still got multiple podcasts going on in your life these days? Yeah, I've got uh, the daily Locked On Vols podcast available on just about every platform, so uh, every single morning. There you go. So you can find him there, and obviously you can find his work at VolQuest.com. Happy to have him with us here on the podcast. Let's jump right into the questions. Beef Vol 44 has got the first one. Beef, I'm going to ignore your hoops question uh, about uh, reports on basketball players. I'm going to defer that one to Rob till Monday. So our Tuesday's podcast will take care of that. As for your other question, do you believe that Tony Vitello is going to be the coach next year? I'm going to say yes. Um, I don't have any insight knowledge. I think he likes it here. I think he's got good relationships with donors. I think Danny White wants to keep him. So to answer your question, at this point, I lean towards Tony Vitello being back as Tennessee's baseball coach. All right, now on to Deshaun 13, who wants to know, how do you build this roster? Transfer portal seems like you would have to hit on every high school player. If you're the head coach at Tennessee, how do you tackle the rebuild that Josh Heupel has in front of him? AP, let's go with you first, and then Eric and jump on in there. Well, I think that it definitely is something that, you know, is, a, is an uphill battle, you know. So, I mean, you know – what come first, the chicken or the egg? You know, I mean, you know, you could take your transfers, but normally those kids, you know, have transferred for a reason. So I think if Tennessee's taking one, you know, you've got to be confident in the kid and confident that he can help you. To me, you you have to have as much knowledge about every kid you take as you can because if if you're unsure on a kid or haven't seen a whole lot of him, but you think there's a possibility there, I just don't think you can take chances. Um but if you look at kind of spots 22 through 25 in a 25-man signing class, Brent, those spots are a lot of projects and developmental type guys anyways. So why not take somebody who's been in a college weight room, been in, you know, through college practices, who's already, you know, kind of, you know, got a little bit of, you know, dirt under the fingernail, so to speak. So I don't mind them taking a couple. I just don't think you can take, you know, too many and pull away from the 20. Uh, 22 class I think you need to take you know maybe one to two three max and and that means you're signing 22 instead of 25 yeah to add on that I mean traditional recruiting is always I mean as you guys know it's always the staple of of your program you can go to the transfer portal and like this year in particular where Tennessee had so much roster turnover and go get some immediate help Juwan Mitchell is going to be immediate help you think Caleb Tremblay can step in. Javonta Payton can help out a little bit. Deshaun Terry a little bit. And, you know, Joe Milton could be a guy that plays a major impact in 2021. He could be a guy that plays a major impact in 2022. We'll have to see. But going to the transfer portal to address some serious needs is uh, very important for Josh Heupel. And that, that's what he's done. That's what he's addressed. But still, as, as AP kind of just said right there, you've got to be very deliberate. you got to be very 
strategic and going and, and recruiting these guys, bringing guys into this class of 2022, because that truly is how you rebuild, you reshape a program and a roster uh, for years to come. Well, well I think, I, 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 go ahead, AP. Go ahead. I was going to say before you go, Brent, I think it's important to take the if you can if you can get the best players from bad teams, that's not a bad way to go because those players have had success on bad teams and and you know they've had opportunity they've been able to showcase their talents versus taking a kid that necessarily hadn't played or hadn't been able to find the field so like taking a, a, a Dejon Terry um, you know to me because he's been able to make plays at Kansas that's a good take you know what I'm saying like I, whereas like a kid that you know hasn't necessarily played at a school like to me that's where the bigger questions come about like why is he not played What's been keeping him off the field? Is it off the field stuff? Is it on the field stuff? You know, and sometimes you can't find the answers to those uh, questions. So, you know, you're going to see every school in college football take transfers from here on out. Alabama, Ohio State, they're all going to take transfers because that's the new way. But to me, you've got to find a way to take kids that have produced. All right, on to the next one we go. In your opinion, what's the best coaching position in Tennessee in terms of salary versus stress, pressure, time commitment, et cetera? buyout not taken into consideration golf coach got the best job ap yeah brennan's got a phenomenal job i mean got the best practice facility he's over there on the river uh they leave him alone he's kind of in the sport that you know they 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 leave you alone he's he's produced a ton and just his you know first few years here getting them to uh you know the ncaa uh, finals that's that's big man I mean like you know that that's a you know f- baseball golf I don't know hubs can you ever remember a time where every one of the minor sports is having as much success look at tennis look at baseball look at golf and I know baseball is maybe not a minor sport but it's not one of the big two that, that drives revenue I mean school the, the the programs all over campus are having success well the sad part I mean the good part and the bad part and, and this is what Danny White mentioned in the sit down is this athletic department's got a lot of health in it in a lot of ways. Where it's unhealthy is they don't have a huge reserve of money and football's unhealthy, and that's the biggest problem. The rest of the programs are doing well. I mean, for the most part, they made a change in the women's golf coach, but swimming, diving's not not done poorly. Track's not had its best year, uh, but baseball, you mentioned, golf, tennis. I mean, there's a lot of good things. It's just when football's unhealthy, it's bad for you financially, and that's where Tennessee's at right now, and that's what Danny White is trying to tackle and, and dive into. All right, Pine Mountain Vol wants to know, AP, you mentioned that Tennessee was not a cool team in recruiting right now. What are a couple of ways to become a cool team? Seems like Tony Vitello and Rick Barnes figured it out in different ways. For football, is it a high-scoring offense? Is it upsetting a few teams, player evaluations, developing some three-stars into NFL players, which is kind of the Rick Barnes method? And then he jokes, is it McDonald's bags and Dodge Chargers? Um Eric, let's go with you first. How do you become cool if you're Tennessee in football? You got to win games. And, and uh, that, that's something that we've all kind of said. And it's going to be a slow process because, again, recruiting is happening right now. And Tennessee doesn't play until uh, September the, uh, the the second now or, or first of September. So, you know, winning football games and showing that you are building something, that's the best way you can you can possibly recruit. But um, everyone's got all the, the cool bells and whistles. Everyone's got neat facilities. Everyone's got a nutrition program and all that type of stuff. So it's not like it was in, in the early days where, you know, Tennessee uh, – especially when it was winning, could just march over to North Carolina or wherever and just say, hey, I want you to come play for me. You know, everyone can do that. So you've got to win. And so I certainly think winning at a a fun pace, a a high accelerated pace in the offense, scoring a lot of points, 
And uh, over the course of a couple of years showing, or really, you know, we can, we can check in after next season. Yeah. How much did Harrison Bailey improve? How much did Jalen Hyatt see his, his, um, you know, all of his stats go up because Tennessee really didn't use him until the end of last year. I think when you're scoring points, you're seeing guys get better in terms of development, especially at the quarterback position. That is the, the cool school that that's kind of been recruiting right now, but it's going to take a little while. And again, it's all going to come from on the field. Most of it's going to come from on the field, in my opinion. I want to go with everything because what Eric just said, they don't play a game for, you know, four more months. So they've got to find a way to be cool in these summer months when you're hosting official visits and all those type of things. Little things that Butch Jones did well with recruits. I mean, the Jordans, the, the, the graphics, all those things play to kids. Like what I think is a 38-year-old man and, and you know, is cool and what Brent Hubbs thinks in his mid-40s is cool and what, you know, Dallin Hayden, who's 17 years old, thinks is cool are three totally different things. So, like, you've got to find a way to – connect with the kid the prospect and then find a way incidentally to find or to, a way to connect with his parents his grandparents like there are different ways to connect with each kid so you've got to find a way to be able to speak to all languages and you know you know not you know to put it in recruiting terms you can go to the inner city schools you can go to the country schools and still be able to connect with all those different kids and you're doing it differently because you're doing it through graphics you're doing it through um, you know, music of practice, you're doing it through, you know, all the other stuff that, that kids are like, oh, man, I want to go play there. I mean, they do this. They do that. Did you get this thing from Tennessee? I got it. Man, how cool was that? Like, to me, that's the thing that they've got to get back to is, you know, recruiting all the way around, not just bits and pieces and picking and choosing, recruiting the whole way around with the graphics, with, with being able to sell your program. And then, in turn, in four months, when Eric – when Tennessee plays, that's when they win games, and that's when they really kind of get the snowball effect. But they got to find a way right now to connect for the next four months. Yeah, I think the hardest part right now is just getting guys' attention, you know, to, to establish those relationships you're talking about, to, to build on those types of things with kids. I mean, what do you do to get their attention to convince a kid to come camp or to come unofficial visit? Uh, Rick Barnes had that luxury because he was a Hall of Fame coach when he arrived at Tennessee. He'd been to a Final Four. He had Kevin Durant. He had, he had calling cards, so to speak, to get recruits' attention, um, wh whereas Josh Heupel really doesn't have that at this point. So I think the biggest challenge for me, Eric, when I look at it and, and kind of what he's talking about is how do you become hip enough or cool enough out of the gate to get them to come look for you so you can build on the other things and, and so you can be in it when winning does become important. I, I think that's a real challenge. I don't have the answer there, but I think that's the biggest challenge for Josh Heupel heading into the month of June. Yeah, I think so too, and I don't think any of us have the answer. Um, I will say too, during the during the dead period when when Josh Heupel became aboard and started bringing on his staff, and of course you couldn't talk to these kids in, in person, and you know, uh, just a couple of weeks from now that's going to change. But the you know big orange virtual days when they had you know forty guys on a call at one time, I would talk to some of these kids when I'm making my my nightly calls and. They say, you know, yeah, I've talked, I've FaceTime coaches, I've I've Zoomed with coaches and the defensive staff and before, but I've never been on a call with 25 other prospects that, you know, a couple of those guys could be my teammates. I thought that was really neat seeing the way Tennessee brought those guys in virtually to watch practice. I thought was really neat. Is Tennessee the only ones doing this? No, but is Tennessee one of the few teams that were doing this and taking advantage of the technology and stuff during the dead period? I would probably say so. That's one of the biggest takeaways from a lot of the kids I've talked to is saying. 
man, I, I, I never experienced that during this year plus of, of a dead period like I have with, with Josh Heupel when he got to Tennessee. All right, on to the next one we go. How would you grade Tennessee's football additions via the portal? Which coaches deserve the most credit? AP, start. I'll go B, just because I think anytime you come from the portal, I, I, unless you're like an Alabama plucking one kid. Because, I mean, Alabama's just not going to take a whole lot of transfers. But, like, for Tennessee to take this many transfers, I, I'll go B. I think there's, there's, you know, especially with the staff, there's very much a lot of optimism with Joe Milton. Um you know, they, they feel like that Caleb Tremblay will be able to help them on the defensive front. They're really excited about DJ Terry. Um, you know, I, I know they're, you know, they're excited about, you know, the, the corner they got from Auburn, um, you know, earlier this week. And then I know they're excited about the potential for, a, for an addition at some point, you know, in the next week or so. I would say B as well. Um, just feeling needs. Tennessee had a lot of needs. If we're talking about short-term gain, uh, compared to traditional recruiting. I mean, Tennessee had so much roster turnover, you had to go get a linebacker. Tennessee went out and got a linebacker that's been really productive in 2020 and been a pr pretty good player before then. A lot of potential there with, with Joe Milton, the quarterback, and that could uh, obviously turn into something down the road as well. And so you look at Javonta Payton, what he can do on the outside potentially, and then you mentioned the defensive lineman. So uh, I think Juwan Mitchell carries a lot of that. I think it's going to be a B, but uh, certainly we're going to have to wait and see You know when they get out there. Brent, if, if, if Joe Milton becomes a player in this offense under Josh Heupel and develops and really turns the, his, his career around and becomes a guy, then no matter what the rest do, the grade will be an A. Because at the end of the day, you have to fix that position. So if, if Joe Milton fixes it, I don't care what the rest do. They'll get, that, that grade would be an A for me because that means you fixed – the number one position on your football team. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. You know, I, I think that – I think it's hard to put a grade on it right now because you're grading so much on on potential, and we yeah. don't know everybody's circumstances on why guys are going – you know, why they're making moves. It's different than a kid coming out of high school, which is obviously on potential. But there's some X factors there that you, you just kind of wonder about a, a little bit on why guys transferred, as you were talking about earlier. So – I don't know that one coach deserves credit. I think the biggest credit is that Tennessee has attacked the portal in terms of evaluation and coaches have used, you know, previous relationships to help them get involved with some kids, whether it was Rodney Garner with, with uh, Terry from Kansas or the kid that they've just taken um, Hayden from, from Auburn with the ties that he has to Willie Martinez. So that should help you feel uh, some comfort level there as well. Uh, who do you think are names to know that no one is talking about that might blow up during camp season? I'm assuming he's talking about a recruit. Austin, give me three recruits. Everybody's going to be talking about July one. I don't Man, care if it's tough. 22. I don't care if it's 22, 23, or 24. I think Nathan Robinson's going to be a guy who's that everybody's yeah, talking about. He he is. I agree. I think that the corner from Lipscomb is going to be somebody people are talking about. Now, he's Beasley. a 24. So, Beasley. Yeah, yeah, Caleb yep. Beasley. Um, you know, just because he's long and, and, and I think a really good player. Um, looking – that's tough because I think so much of the 22 class is not really going to camp. The ones right. that camp in 22 are the ones that still – don't really have anything earn something. You know, Cam Miller goes down to Alabama because he's trying to wow Alabama enough to take him. You know, a guy like Shannon Blair at Knox West is McCormick Camp at Tennessee because he's trying to impress Tennessee enough that they'll offer him. But, like, you know, if you're happy with what you have, like, I'm not sure Anthony Brown and Jalen Lewis will camp. At this point, Hubs, 
and, and we'll have this in the war room tomorrow. I'm not sure those kids even come over here in, ju- in June. I mean, that thing's totally flipped around. Like I, the more people I talk to, I think. Up in the air. Maybe they show up, maybe it's not, it's a, a lock at this point. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the, the people that are going to blow up are going to be 23s and 24s. I don't think it's going to be a lot of 22s. Yeah, I would agree with you 100% on that one. All right, let's go on to the next one. Guys with a large percentage of talk, guys with a large percentage of talk currently focused around the baseball team, Tony Vitello's future year. Could there be a sit-down interview similar to what you did with Danny White where you get into Tony Vitello's wish list? Yeah, we would love to do that when the season is over. Obviously, that's not Tony Vitello's focus right now, but I would love to sit down and visit with him about what he would like to see in the stadium and kind of where he sees the, the program and the direction of it moving forward. All right, Eric, to you, uh, what is the one position group no one is talking about right now positively that could be a surprise come midseason? How about the tight ends? If you look at Alex Golish's track record, what he's done with the tight end position at each stop he's had, it's really impressive. Look at uh, UCF's tight end in 2019 compared to what he did in 2020. Look at the production uh, for the tight ends under Golish uh, on the goal line. And you saw that in the spring game with a little rollout, you know, slip pass there for a touchdown with the reserve team. I think the tight ends, especially the way Princeton fans continue to progress. I know Austin Pope's still there. I, I liked what I saw from Miles Campbell. Very raw, young, of course, but he's got soft hands. He runs good routes. I think tight end is a position that could be a surprise and could really help Tennessee's offense down the line. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think tight ends can be there. I think they're better at running back than I think when you look at what all they lost, everybody wondered about the loss of Eric Gray. And I think Eric Gray is a good player, but I think they're going to be better at running back than, than I thought that they would be. So that's a that's a position for, for me that, that I, I think could be somewhat of a surprise come midseason because I just think that group's going to be productive in this offense, AP. I totally agree with you. I, I really agree that the, the, the running backs are going to be something like, you, you know, would Eric Gray have, have played a lot on this team? Yeah, he would have. He, he's a good player. But I think the loss of Keyshawn Lawrence far outweighs the loss of, of Eric Gray. You know, I, I just think that Keyshawn plays a position of need. He's a talented kid, and Gray's talented too. But the depth in the secondary is just not there. They have depth at running back. They have lots of depth, quality depth. Even a guy like T. Hodge I thought had a solid spring. And, and I would have considered him going into spring way back on the depth chart. But he, he's shown that he can be a, a guy that may, maybe can really help this, this program. All right, on to the next one. If kids don't come to camp to be evaluated, how hard is it to get noticed by a program? How do small high school prospects get recognized without camping? Are there any past examples of small school kids that didn't camp becoming a success for Tennessee? Yeah, there are tons of those. Um, I mean, I don't think Jabari Small camped at Tennessee. Uh, Inky Johnson didn't camp at Tennessee. I mean, you can run through the gauntlet of those. But how do you get recruited if you're at a smaller school if you don't go camping, AP? Is it harder? Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, you've got to have your, you know, your high school coach really working hard for you. You've got to have some type of connections. And then you've got to kind of get lucky. You know, look at a guy like A.C. Mason Young out there at Covington. How'd they find him, Brent? They weren't looking for his tape. They were watching Ty Simpson's tape. And they said, who's this Who's this kid right here? Plays for Covington. He just kept showing up, and he kept showing up, and he kept showing up. I mean, you almost yeah, got to get a little point. bit lucky in certain yeah. ways. Yep, great point. I mean, they've, 
they found Inky um, they found Inky Johnson because of Jamal Lewis's position coach is how they found it. That's, that's how they got into Inky Johnson, who nobody knew about. So you're exactly right. I mean, you, you gotta, you gotta have some, some good fortune, some luck coming your way. A lot of times it's showing up on somebody else's tape, as you mentioned with Ty Simpson, while the college football playoff has seemed to push the elite further ahead of other teams. Do you think there'll be any type of correction in the future to balance things out? Or are we just waiting for Nick Saban to retire, see where it goes from there? Uh, also, what can fans do to help Nick Saban want to retire? Will it even help Tennessee? You know, I don't think there's any way to balance it out other than potentially expanding the playoffs and opening yourself up to make it a little bit of a harder grind uh, for those two or three teams that are in the playoffs every year, Eric. I, I don't – I mean, they're not going to come back and say, okay, Alabama, you're limited to scholarships. I mean, there's nothing to balance it other than trying to create more parity in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I would agree because, I mean, there, there, there's a drop-off after those top four to five teams. And so – and I know that there's different teams that circulate every single year, but consistently the you know, the Ohio States, the Oklahomas, the Notre Dames right there in that three to five range. And, of course, you got the Clemsons and in Alabama. You got to make it harder for them, make them play more games. And you expand it out to A, you expand it out even further than that in years to come potentially – yeah, you might be talking about some some buys in there, but you got to make it harder uh, in this college football playoff because just right now it's it's too top heavy. All right, uh, AP to you. How much would a bowl ban hurt Tennessee with recruits with more players than ever skipping bowls? Could bowl bans begin to lose their teeth as an NCAA punishment in the coming years? If so, what might the NCAA's alternate punishments look like? Bowl ban, big deal, not big deal. It is a big deal if it's two years. If it's one year, it's not a big deal because the, the current group you're recruiting it would have no effect on them. They would show up next year and they'd be able to go to a bowl game the first year. So I, I think two years, you know, you and I have had this debate, like is the loss of more scholarships or is the, the bowl ban the bigger deal? I think for recruits, they don't know if you're taking 25, 22, 21, 19, 24. They, they'd have no clue about that. But they do know if you can go to a bowl game or not. And the uh, the the – aura around of being able to go to a bowl game is it a big deal no but i think you know when you say it out loud to a prospect they probably you know do feel like that that's a bigger deal than than the rest because ultimately all these kids think they're going to the nfl they all think they're winning the national championship in college they all think they're you know going to the playoff no matter who they sign with how many times have you can't wait to get tennis i mean how many recruits have i interviewed over the years that talked about you know winning a national championship tennessee Yep. Almost every year. Yep. I mean, that's, that's just the, that's the way, it, that's the way it goes. And if the scholarship reductions are only on the 85 number, then it's not that big of a deal because most teams aren't pushing that 85 number that hard. Um, you can weather that a, a little bit more, uh, but for the overall health of the program, you don't want to be in a, you know, you don't want to be 20 scholarships under because it makes it harder to compete there. So, you know, it, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a balancing act, but um I, I think your point with the kids, if it's a multi-year deal, it has a much greater effect than if it's just a singular one-year bowl ban. All right, uh, Bronco Vol wants to know an update on Tommy Witten and Sean uh, Gary from South Doyle. Austin. Don't see them factoring in Tennessee's plans. I mean, I, you know, I think Sean Gary's a good player. Um, you know, like if I was a team like Eastern Kentucky, I'd be all over a guy like Sean Gary. He can run. Um you know, that to me, like, that'd be, you know, like perfect fit for him. Like even like a, like a, uh, Austin P or, um, you know, UT Martin, 
Um, and again, is he maybe a little better than that? Sure, but I, you know, I I don't think you want to go too big, um, and then not play. And and then Tommy Winton not playing his junior year killed him. He played very little last year, and I I really think that that really stunted him uh, a good bit. So, you know, we'll be interested to see you know if he gets any more traction. Problem is they lose their quarterback over there at Catholic um, with Caden Martin leaving. So now they're trying to find a quarterback. Can they find one that can get Winton the ball? Otherwise, he's going to go injury his junior year for the most of the year, not a whole lot on tape, and then have a you know no quarterback throwing to him his senior year. All right. Um, here's one for both of you guys. Comparing transfers gain to guys loss. Wide receiver, Peyton over Brandon Johnson. You like that trade? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Terry over Katron Evans or Middleton if he leaves? For me, no. I think Evans is going to be a good player. You mean Terry? You, 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 oh, you mean you, you thought Evans would have been a good I, player? Okay. Yeah, and I, and I, I think you. Terry can be a good player too, but I think Evans uh, could, could have been special here at Tennessee and, and still might be special down at Jackson State. All right. Uh, Hayden over Buchanan and Schamberger or time will tell even Key Lawrence. I don't know about Hayden over Key Lawrence. Lawrence is not going to be a corner. He's going to be a, you know, a nickel guy. I do like Hayden over Buchanan and Schamberger, AP. Yes, I agree with that. I think Key Lawrence is – Key Lawrence is, I think, can be a, you know, day two draft pick type guy. I mean, he's first, first three rounds type guy if he continues to develop. Uh, Mitchell over Crouch and all the rest of the combined departed linebackers. Yeah, Mitchell's been more productive, can play out in space better. Crouch couldn't play in space. Crouch is perfect for Michigan State. I mean, I think that's a great home for him. Yeah, playing in the Big Ten. Playing in the box. Yeah, I, think, I, I think it's a yeah. good fit. I don't disagree with that. All right, um, Eric, Milton over JG could say over Hooker, over JT Shroud as well. I would say yes. Uh, you know, we saw everything Jared had. Um, so we haven't seen everything Joe Milton has. He'll have to be consistent, but I think that is that that would be an upgrade. I need to see more from Hooker. I think we all need to see more from Hooker. I understand he played at Virginia Tech, but um, I would say Milton over JG right now, yes. Uh, AP, Tremblay over um, DeAndre Johnson or take your pick of Washington, Mincy, et cetera, if, if Johnson was a one-for-one. One. I'm a DeAndre Johnson guy. I, I we'll see what Tremblay does. I, I think that I think DeAndre just had a hard time staying focused the whole time. But but you saw. I think they're two different players. Good. I agree. Not the same player. I agree with that. Um, Here's the difference because Tremblay can slide inside on third down and yep. play tackle. Yep, he can, and and that's something DeAndre could not do. But DeAndre had shown in this league he could get to the quarterback off the edge. Yeah, which Tennessee lacks and has lacked. Uh, McGrath over Samagla. Last year, Samaglia, yes. Year before, Samaglia, absolutely no. Um, with, with the way he with the way he works. Um, all right, on to the next one. We'd like to hear your guesses on the starting quarterback and running back this fall. I realize it's not a realistic question. Just curious to hear. Either one of y'all want to tackle that one, or you want to call it unrealistic and move on to uh, my, my man Vol Math Fifty here. <laughs> I'd say unrealistic for quarterback right now. Running back is going to be. You know, Jabari, Jabari Small, Small and, and Tyon Evans, and I think some other will play. Yeah, I don't know about the quarterback deal. I mean, I've got to see Joe Milton. I know he's got a big arm, but i got to see. Yeah. I mean, I've seen guys who can throw it a country mile, and it doesn't translate when you put 11 on 11 on the field. And I've seen guys who can throw it, um, who, who are ugly in, in 
routes versus air, then they get into the other deal and they're really good players. So um, I, I think that all, you know, certainly changes. Um, with transfer numbers as they are, does taking 25 make the most sense? Does it taking 20 to 22 high school players and three to five transfers, transfer players make the most sense? Just curious your thoughts on how to manage a roster with the way transfers are now. We've talked about this before. Absolutely, I think you save a transfer spot or two every year in your 25 class. Don't you guys? I mean, Eric? Yeah, between one and three. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep, I, I, I agree. I, I think you have to with the way that this is going. All right, let's – Let's rapid rapid fire through a few here. Um, uh, let's see here. We still only know a little about this offense and the way it's going to look for this team. We know philosophy is to go fast, RPOs, deep shots. How do you feel this philosophy will do in the SEC next year and in the future? Is it the type of offense that college football is all moving towards, or could it be similar to a leech offense where once SEC defenses get a read on it, they can put it in check very easily without superior talent? I don't think this is a leech offense. I think it's more compared to a Lane Kiffin offense than a Mike Leach offense. Um, Agreed. I, I think it's, you know, because, and look, Levy brought some of that stuff in for Lane. Lane's already had some of that stuff. They kind of hybrid that thing. Levy and Heupel have been together. They know each other. I would consider it more of the Ole Miss type than the West Coast uh, passing stuff that, that Mike Leach does. Mike Leach doesn't have near as many deep shots, Eric, in his offensive repertoire as what this team's going to do. And they don't do as near as much RPO stuff in Mike Leach's offense, at least for now. Yeah, I would agree. And plus, you know, everybody wants to score points. Everybody wants to, you know, put the concentration on offense. I get that. But not every team is going to run at the tempo or even close to the tempo that Josh Heupel um, will run here at Tennessee. And the thing about that is, again, when it's clicking, it's great. Um, it's not really defense figuring out. It's just defense kind of slowing it down and, you know, waiting for an off game. And then that offense can look really, really sour. Yeah, and the last question here, always been a big fan of Al Wilson. Would like to hear an interesting story about him, be it recruiting around campus during interviews, locker room, practice field, et cetera. Got any Al Wilson stories we may not have heard. I'll wrap the podcast up with a couple of quick things on Al Wilson uh, that jumps out to me. Um, I remember the, well, the fact that he fell asleep before the Florida game is always a, an interesting story. But I'm sitting at the practice field uh, – Cedric Wilson's a freshman. Cedric is chirping because he's caught a couple balls and some seven-on-seven seven stuff. And uh, he comes over to the side. Al's sweating. It's August heat. I mean, it's hot as can be. And Cedric's still chirping. And Al reaches up into the water uh, cooler that's got a little basket on it with a Gatorade. And he ear holes Cedric Houston or Cedric Wilson uh, with a Gatorade with his helmet on. And, and Cedric didn't talk the rest of practice. And that was kind of the end of it with, with Al Wilson. Unbelievable competitor in recruiting. He never talked to anybody. Whenever you called the house and asked for him, he was always at the library. I joke with him to this day. He's the most studious recruit I've ever covered because he spent five, six days a week at the library, which he really didn't. He just refused to talk. And if you talk to Al today, he still refuses to talk about his career. Whenever you interview him, it has to be about his teammates. He never wants to talk about himself. Uh, but he is going to the College Football Hall of Fame this fall. He will be celebrated, and rightfully so, by everybody at Tennessee and what should be a great weekend. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast. For Austin Price and Eric Kane, I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody.